ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Cree and Scroll of all ages, welcome to MCU Beyond Infinity, a weekly podcast where three friends have assembled to discuss the most recent installments and all things related to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. My name is John, and joining me as your tour guides through this multiverse of madness are Kira and Travis. Hello, welcome to MCU Beyond Affinity Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Kira, uh, joined with my co-hosts, like the introduction said, John and Travis. Hi, hi. Hi. Hello, fellas. Um, this is our first quote-unquote prequel episode, uh, which will be discussing uh, MCU content in all forms of media, uh, film, the Disney Plus series and any other kind of content that comes out as well as upcoming news and things of that nature. Um, a little bit about myself. Like I said, my name is Kira. Um, just going to get out of the way. I'm trans, so I hope that's not a problem with anybody. I don't intend it on being a real huge uh, talking point in the show. This is about our love for the MCU, and that's what I hope to keep it uh, mostly focused on. Um in terms of like uh, my experience in comics and the MCU and, and, and enjoying movies in the first place, I uh, loved comics from a very young age, uh, collected a few. I didn't have like any kind of huge mass collections like maybe John uh, certainly has, right? Certainly. Yeah. Certainly. And <laughs> stacks and stacks and stacks and storage yeah. units and basements. Basically like Brody from Mallrats, I'm I'm assuming. <laughs> yeah. Um, a little bit less of an asshole. <laughs> well, I, I love Brody, but um a little bit. A little bit. And uh I as I got a little older, I started also gravitating a lot towards film and movies and cinema and just love going to the movies and things like that. And that kind of like uh became like a hand in hand thing where um, my love of comics started like being more towards the movies. Um, I mean, there were comic book movies. They weren't as popular, but we've had them even since before I was born and I'm old, you know, you had um, Donner's uh, Superman, um, which I watched all the time. I used to make my uh, parents uh, get them from the library, um, you know, Burton's Batman movies and, then into the early wave of Marvel, uh, Blade, a lot of people forget, um, was one of the first Marvel comic book movies, not counting Howard the Duck. Um, I have a vivid memory, vivid memories of watching the Howard the Duck. I feel like that was like a, a, like a staple for, for people specifically our age, like kind of being like mid-millennials. Like, and those duck titties. Yeah, and those duck titties and, and uh, like that that song just the, the song's like the best part but that fucking voice like just i i i vivid vivid memories of that and leah thompson being like one of the first things that gave oh, me a boner fucking smoke show and that smoke show um so yeah and then eventually uh into the early era with marvel blade um the x-men movies in 2000 so they started in 2000 and then obviously Raimi spider-man and eventually the uh the bombshell of Iron Man in 2008 that started it all. But um, so in terms of my experience with film, um, like I said, I've always been a bit of a cinemaphile. I uh, went to a film program at the School of Visual Arts in high school. 
Um, I was a cinema major. I did not um, finish the degree, although all of the classes uh, for the actual major I did take and pass and did well in. It was uh, a couple core classes that I had never finished, but um, ended up doing something else with my life entirely. I have a career now that I love, so um, I still retain all the knowledge that I learned. And uh, in terms of uh, why this, how this podcast came about, I... um, I'm a avid follower of podcasts. I have like three or four that I'm very loyal to and uh, maybe trying one was always something that I was interested in. Could never really think of uh, an innovative idea. Um, I even thought about the, the stupid trans angle, but that's really not something that I'm interested in doing at all. And um, we're sort of in this great era in the MCU, especially after not having MCU content for God, well over a year, right? Far from home. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's the first year without Marvel. Yeah, until recently, um, WandaVision. So, and then, but, you know, I thought about it. Um, we're pretty much going to have content almost every week, um, with the uh, exception of a week here and there between, you know, WandaVision and Falcon and Winter Soldier and Falcon Winter Soldier and, and Black Widow. But for all intents and purposes, there's always content to discuss. And I know, again, that this isn't an original idea or innovative. Um, I, did a, I did a bit of research, and there's a couple dozen, probably more MCU podcasts already out there. And I'm sure there's dozens more in the works just like ours. Um, but whether or not – I mean, we have listeners. That's great, and we would appreciate you um, – but if it doesn't really go any place spectacular, just being able to talk with like-minded people, um, and it's just fun for us to talk about it. And that's if if I can take anything away from it, it's that. Um, so, um, thinking about who, uh, so yeah, I had the MCU. I wanted to do an MCU podcast. Um, trying to think, well, where do I go from there? Um, who can I get to do it with me? Who would want to do it with me? And um, I've known John and Travis. What do we meet in Horror Nerd? Sam's Horror Nerd discussion? Yeah, we met in like Facebook message boards and Facebook groups like About five or six talk- years ago, I think. Uh, yeah, maybe the better 10, part right? of a decade. I think yeah, 2013 been- is when I joined uh, Horror Nerd. Sure, we're getting there. Yeah. <laughs> and we've, no- we've never met in. Uh- person john does live uh geographically close to me travis yeah, i live like five miles from you and i've never met you which where, is amazing where are you again travis in some bunker in uh, siberia or something yeah no no arkansas of all places it's uh it is what it is but it's amazing you know social media brought us together so long ago and and exactly one, one of the better parts of my days for the better part of you know a decade has been getting to talk movies and getting to talk comics and getting to talk you know, just general bullshit that I love with, with you guys and, and like-minded people like you guys. And it's kind of awesome that, you know, Kara kind of assembled this for us. <laughs> no pun intended. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I used assembled uh, multiple times during that little intro. No pun intended, obviously, but, uh, humble break. yeah, humble break. Um, but I, uh, uh, it's it's awesome that we finally get to actually converse rather than just uh, frantically typing at our phones. That's what I was going to say. It's easier than just trying to get these thoughts out and people are answering and you're trying to go back. It's just this is more conducive to a to a coherent discussion, I think. And uh, yeah. of course, um, 
after a few episodes and we get our footing, we'll we'll take on guests, no celebrities or anything like that. Mostly just friends from uh, different movie groups. Um, Jason from Sinister and um, a lot of the people that frequent that. Um, all the same as us, just a uh, lover of cinema and, and comic books and the MCU. Um, so we'll get there. Um, but we're, we're, we're just starting out. So, uh, and, and when I solicited, it was on Sinister, you know, for anyone who would want to be interested and, uh, you know, both of you, I, I were like in the top echelon of my list, but also I didn't think, um, necessarily I had heard, uh, I didn't know if you were going to be interested in doing a podcast. I know people have asked if you want to do podcasts and not necessarily something that piqued your interest. So it was an honor that you um, even considered my, uh, you know. Oh, yeah. It's not that I wasn't interested. It's just I had concerns. So. Uh, <laughs> and uh, but the MCU is something that I can ramble about uh, for ages. So it's, yeah. Uh. And it's great that you um, – here and I, I never thought of it and this and the same thing with you john like i i don't know why i thought you were a dc i knew you were just comic books in general but i know you uh you have dc a lot of dc stuff in your near and dear to your heart i, I do like i i guess i'd kind of use that as a segue in into my little introduction because like you mentioned like yeah dc is what's near and dear to my heart you know i grew up traditionally being a dc guy but always reading comic books and um just you know through line throughout my entire life, you know, I've gone through different phases and I've been interested in different things and, and things just change at the drop of a hat. But there's been three main um, things that have remained consistently big parts of my life. And, um, and three things that I sounds lame, but I truly, truly care about probably more than I should sometimes. And, and that is uh, music, films and comic books. And, um, you know, I guess my intro to comics came at a really young age. Uh, my mother actually took me to see Superman 2 when um, when I must have been an infant. And um, yeah, my, you're my younger young- than me, so. Yeah, yeah. My, my younger sister, uh, you know, my mother was pregnant at the time. And she, uh, she suggested the name um, Lois Lane. And uh, my father was very adamant with no. But, but she <laughs> is named Margot. She was named after Margot Kidder. Um, if she was a boy, she probably would have been Clark Kent. Um, really? Yeah. And and then from there, you know, I one thing that has remained a consistent routine in my entire life from probably about the age of five or six when I got my first uh, subscription pull list from uh, Planet Comics, which used to be like a big chain in the early 90s. They had one over at the, the Smith Haven Mall by us up on Long Island. Yeah, Smith Haven um, Mall, shout out. Yeah, shout out to Smith Haven Mall. Uh Still love that place. Um, but, you know, I've, I've had a weekly pull list and every single Wednesday that's been a real through line is is getting my comic books and keeping up with the stories for better or for worse. I've, I've stuck it out with these characters for a long time. Always been into film as I grew up. Obviously, my interest in film turned a little bit more analytical and a little bit more um, uh, critical. Um, you know, it started digging into um, more... Uh, the more almost like artistic merits of things and, and, and art house cinema and, and kind of critiquing it and getting more analytical into things. But at the end of the day, I love blockbuster popcorn movies. So being, yeah, being in my mid thirties, growing up with comic books, um, 
and having what we have now with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, where we're seeing these characters and these stories and 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 things that have just existed that never in my wildest dream in in the early days of of watching those you know those comic book films that you mentioned earlier, like those original X Men movies or the Raimi Spider Man movies, and even before that, you know the Burton Schumacher and and Donner Superman. Uh, films never in my wildest dreams would I think that not only are we getting films of of this quality, um, but something that tapped into a cultural zeitgeist um, that's so much larger than the community ever could have imagined when when we were younger. Um, it was always such like inside baseball, you know. We would round up uh, our like Marvel trading cards and read about Havoc and Polaris and all these dumb characters and everyone had their favorites. But now it seems like everyone and their mother knows who Vision is. You know, I had a four-year-old the other day tell me Vision was his favorite Avenger. And I said, that that's fucking crazy. When I was a little kid, Vision was my favorite Avenger too, but it was a fluke because I picked up a comic book that had Vision in it. But, you know, every week this little kid gets to wake up and see Vision and Quicksilver and all these characters. Like, it, not only um done so well on the screen but but truly done lovingly to the nature of of those characters and where they came from in the source material that preceded uh the marvel cinematic universe it's it's truly an amazing time and and as you mentioned before um we have uh seemingly two years of new content every single week with the exception of a couple breaks and i know we got plans for those little breaks even though it's early on we already got big plans um, so I'm really looking forward to not only getting this new content, but having this opportunity to once a week gather with two people whose uh, opinions I respect and I love to hear, um, and, and just kind of wax intellectual and, and bullshit about something that we all, some common ground that we all really do love. And it's so near and dear to, to all three of us. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Uh, we do share a lot of common ground when we say about music and uh, movies and comics here. Pretty much the only thing that uh, <laughs> I have an interest in discussing uh, with people. It's, uh, uh, but the way I got into comics was uh, mainly through my older brothers and my older cousin who uh, uh, gave me handy hand me downs and stuff like that. And uh, I didn't grow up with a whole lot of money, so I wasn't able to buy a lot. But like, uh, '90s Silver Surfer was one of my go tos, and then Spider Man and X Men, and then. Uh, uh, along with that, just uh, picking up like the uh, official ha- official handbook of the Marvel Universe comics, along with the Who's Who, uh, the like the DC equivalent of that comic, uh, I think gave me uh, the ability to know the characters at least on a surface level, even if I didn't get to read comics with them in it. And uh, yeah, and growing up with that, and then like the cartoons and. Uh, like Batman '89 was uh, uh, big for me as a kid. Uh, like the, it was just an exciting time to be living in right now, where we're getting to see all these characters that I grew up loving, getting adapted and fairly faithfully. Uh, it's faithful and also like a very unique and. Uh... Yeah, yeah, it, like the 2000s had the X-Men movies and Spider-Man and all that, but like even though Spider-Man... With the Matrix uh, leather suits. Yeah, yeah, I hated that. I love the, the colorfulness of the comics, and 
Yeah, I, I just didn't like the X-Men movies uh, initially, and some of them have grown on me, but... Uh, I ate them Even up. with Spider-Man, where you did have the colorful costume, and it was a fairly faithful uh, uh, adaptation of, like, Ditko-era Spider-Man. Uh, like, more so than the MCU's version of Spider-Man. Uh, but I, I just prefer the MCU's take so far. Uh, they just have a habit of... Getting it right. Um, oh, yeah. Whatever yeah, their it's... tank is or how they do it. You know, so many uh, other studios keep trying to uh, catch up or mimic their formula to to no success. Um... <laughs> I mean, it, it's interesting, too, because um, where, as in those older um, those older superhero films that we keep mentioning, um, there was some more tourship behind them, but yeah, it was yeah. mostly in terms of the filmmakers. I mean, you know, Sam Raimi. I mean, how do you get- exactly? I yeah, mean, you had yeah. you had Donner's stamp going back even further. You had Donner's stamp on Superman. You had um, Burton's stamp on Batman, where those were very much um, you know Richard Donner movies and and Tim Burton films, and uh, even the Raimi Spider Man films and the Brian Singer films. But one of the things that I think, you know, kind of going back to, um, you know, talking about the the first phase of it is from the very beginning, you know, we have um, almost like producer or authorship, if I'm saying that word right. You're a film school person, Kiera. Do you know what I'm talking about? Authorship? Is that the word? Authorship is is a director that's visually recognizable in their uh, the way they compose scenes and, and the imagery that they use. Yeah, visually and and just like, you know, in terms of of control. Um and and this is one of the first cases where we have a franchise where it's it's almost like there's this like production or tourship for for lack of better words where you you have this like I don't want to use the word mastermind cuz you know, we're not here to say everything that Marvel has done has been you know, masterful or or a classic. You know, they they have their stumbles and they make their mistakes too. But yeah, but for the most part Things have remained very consistent, very in line tonally and in style uh, with all their variations. And you can definitely tell there's a real heavy hand at work from a oversight um, to the franchise, uh, which is um, which is rare and something that that really hadn't occurred until, you know, starting in 2008 with uh, with Iron Man one. Yeah. Lightning in a bottle. Yeah, the uh, Kevin Feige uh, is obviously the one steering the ship to a degree. Obviously, the directors are still uh, handling their individual films, but he's managed to find good stewards for each uh, property. And uh, it's it's also uh, one of the things I like about the MCU is that they do listen to their fans. The few times that they have stumbled, it's generally been addressed in some way. uh, whether it be Iron Man 3 and, and then the short film that followed where it was uh, acknowledging a screw-up with uh, the handling of the Mandarin. Uh, Even where they fail, though, they fail with the best of intentions. Absolutely, absolutely. We'll get uh, it. I can tell points from Phase 3 away. I'm sure that we'll discuss that in depth when we get to that. Uh, I, I mean, looking back at Phase 1, I hadn't, I hadn't really realized that um, until kind of taking a look at the uh, cast and the production credits for the first phase. Um, but right from the get-go, the really interesting choices, even in terms of filmmakers. I mean, you have um, John Favreau starting everything off with Iron Man 1 and 2, 
um, Kenneth Branagh doing Thor, that's that's a big get. I mean, the guy's won an Academy Award for acting and I believe for directing too with uh, with Hamlet in the 90s. And obviously he has a lot of Shakespearean experience, which was something that they intentionally brought to to the Thor movie. Yeah, and and Joe Johnson coming in to do um Rocketeer. Oh, yeah, yeah, from the one of my one of my all-time favorite movies and and a, you know, childhood favorite too. But but coming in to do his thing for uh for the first Avenger with the first Captain America movies and then obviously culminating with Joss Whedon, but getting these very distinct and individual voices like right from the get-go again with studio oversight that in terms right of oh, what's that done the right way because like yeah done the right way say is is there seems to be like an indecisiveness or lack of a direction with studios like fox and and sony and um like they uh and warner brothers if we're talking dc i think they're like the worst uh culprit in that like they they hand these movies over and i don't want to get off topic talking about DC, but um, they hand these movies off to, you know, auteur like directors or up and kind like, you know, Ayer had just come off of what was it? End of watch and Fury. Um, thinking like they're going to let them do their thing. And then, and second guessing themselves and demanding these changes and going back and, and Marvel. I mean, like you said, there's been missteps, uh, you know, they butted heads with Edward Norton, uh, you know, the whole Ant-Man, um, God, what, what's his name again? Edgar Wright. Edgar Wright. Uh, you know, that was a shame because obviously he probably would have made a very cool film. But, um, you know, Marvel just seems to be able to find that balance more than any other studio in my opinion. That and the pacing. Like at DC, I think where they messed up was rushing things out into just slowly. Right. Everyone's playing catch up and, and it's a mess. But so we're kind of knocking on uh, the door of phase one. So just before we dive into that, um, I'm basically going to let you uh, describe the f- the format of the show is going forward. So like I said, this is the prequel episode. Um, I felt it was appropriate to have an episode where we can kind of like uh, give uh, whatever imaginary listeners or potential listeners that we can uh, cultivate uh, an introduction to ourselves, which we did, and um, sort of not jump right into WandaVision, which is already in the bulk of its run. Um, we're, you know, we're jumping in, we're jumping right in basically and trying to play catch up. So I figured, um, take this opportunity to do this prequel episode discussing phase one and John kind of went into it where, um, we'll then go right into where WandaVision, we're not going to go back to the episodes that have already aired. We're on episode six right now. So our next episode, we'll be discussing, um, WandaVision episode six and, uh, from then on each episode. Each week we'll be discussing each episode as it premieres. And when there's that break between WandaVision and Falcon and the Winter Soldier, uh, the plan is to uh, discuss Phase 2 as we're doing now. Um, Maybe even uh, take on a guest. Uh, We're still undecided maybe for the finale of WandaVision, more likely uh, for that break episode. And um, to sort of... (laughs) We each tried to give ourselves roles for uh, this instead of just, you know like-minded people sort of contributing the same kind of thing. Um, or at least I tried to find something unique in all of us. And uh, it's pretty much easy and a no-brainer to find. Uh, John, as we described and he described himself, 
he's our comic book go-to guy. He's our expert. Um, so when we're discussing these things, there won't be plot summaries, um, just aspects, Easter eggs of these shows and uh, speculation. And John's going to probably be uh, more than either me and Travis, even though we both have comic book knowledge, but uh, John especially can sort of uh, be our guide with that and uh, make those connections that either me or Travis missed or can't articulate it as well and, and sort of inform our listeners. And um, Travis, uh, one thing that I always noticed about you, uh, you know, especially when we all realize we're Marvel and MCU fans is uh, you're always providing um, news and, uh, you know, uh, any kind of article, like you, you kind of the first person that seems to, uh, bring these, uh, articles to our attention, uh, costume designing. Um, you, it just seems very, you're passionate about that. So I thought that's perfect opportunity. And at the end of each episode, um, not this episode, but, uh, our regular, uh, formatted episodes, Travis will be coming in and we'll all discuss together um, the news articles that have come out that week and, and make our own speculations. And uh, for me, uh, <laughs> you know, I may be, uh, I may end up becoming the most unpopular of the three of us, uh, maybe even at times abrasive, but my goal is to um, not make a sycophants to Marvel, even though clearly we, we love Marvel. And uh, this is something we hold dear. But at the same time, um, you know, don't treat them like they're some sort of untouchable, do no wrong thing. So what I intend to do is sort of be more of the skeptic, not all the time, even if I agree with what they're doing. Ask the hard questions, play devil's advocate sometimes. Um, that's what I hope to bring. But again... Be- be that voice of reason, Kira. Sure, or just basically the like the person that everyone's gonna be rolling their eyes at. But <laughs> we'll see. And uh, so that's our role, what we bring to the podcast. And then also, John, of course, uh, is kind of our editor uh, and mixer, all the technical aspects. Thank you so much, John, for uh, not only having the expertise to do that, but be willing to. Um, oh, of course, I love this shit. None of this podcast could happen without it was all, it's almost like a vision quote, right? None of us can do it without the other. Um, so John, uh, from a technical aspect, the editing, the music, the mixing, Travis does a lot of our art. Um, we'll be coming up pretty much with our posters for each episode. Uh, I've loved everything that uh, he showed me blown away again. Like I can't believe we all got so lucky that like uh, we could each bring something so awesome to the table. Very excited about it. And I don't really bring anything in that. I'm going to just be, I guess like the, the pretty face. You should record these episodes with an eye patch on. You're dismissing yourself as our Nick Fury esque uh, well, assembler. Well, like I'll, I'm, I'll be the pretty face, right? Even though yeah, exactly. <laughs> Poster child. <laughs> yeah. So without further ado, let's just jump into it. Phase one. Again, we're not going to be, uh, oh, Iron Man came out in 2008. Robert, this, that's not the format. We're going to kind of be playing fast and loose. And uh, Well, who wants to jump in and start us off? I mean, how fucked up 
how fucked up was Iron Man 1? I just got to start off by saying, like, I, I had no idea this movie was even happening. I, I had, you know, the internet was, like, not really in its infancy, but, like, social media wasn't as 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 widespread. You know, we weren't able to share the news articles on MySpace or Friendster the way we are on Facebook. So Iron Man 1 just, holy shit, did that, that take me by surprise, you know? Oh, yeah. I, uh... Yeah, I similarly. I I didn't expect it to be as successful as it was. I thought the trailer looked great, uh, and looking back on it, knowing that they put uh, their remaining uh, properties up as collateral, so if that movie That's failed, right. yeah, yeah, if that movie failed, it was done for them. <laughs> they have become the property of Merrill Lynch. Oh yeah, yeah, it's. Uh, who knows what we would have, uh, would have been done with the properties at that point. Uh, but yeah. I, uh... And, and like looking back to um, at, at who Robert Downey Jr. was at that time, um, you know, um, talk about, you know, perfect casting, right place, right time for the character of Tony Stark. And, and in retrospect, you know, I, I said before recording this, it's going to be very difficult to talk about the first phase without kind of reminiscing about where we are now. Um, but but it, it, it's a defining role, almost unlike any other actors achieved with the character, with the exceptions of like, um, like Hugh Jackman with Wolverine, which is, you know, an astounding, what, 12 films that he was in over the course of like 20 years. But, but Robert Downey Jr. coming off of um, being in legitimate trouble, legitimate turmoil, and, and kind of harnessing that into the best of all worlds for that character. And, you know, it's funny. Um, I, I know I've read this quote about Robert Downey Jr. when he decided to get clean or, uh, you know, pick himself up by the bootstraps and, uh, you know, end this cycle of drug uh, abuse and, and wild lifestyle is uh, – he had gone to Burger King and uh, had like a Whopper and he kind of looked at it and he said it was like the most disgusting thing that he had ever seen and uh, threw that thing away and uh, got himself clean. And it's funny because that's the first thing Tony Stark uh, goes to get after he gets out of that cave in Afghanistan is uh, he goes, he wants an American cheeseburger and he goes to Burger King. So, yeah, I, uh, I'm impressed with how uh, he took a character that was not a uh, a top tier character uh, and made him one. Uh, like, if you would have told me when I was a kid that one day Iron Man was going to be as popular as Spider Man, if not more so, I wouldn't have believed you in the slightest. Uh, like, he was always like a B minus player to me, unless it was unless you're talking about him in the Avengers. The Avengers was an A team, but. Yeah, Iron Man himself, no. Uh, yeah, it was always a uh, shellhead, old shellhead. Shellhead. Yeah. And I do think it's more impressive than the Hugh Jackman thing because Wolverine was already kind of in the public consciousness because of the animated series uh, that did so well for uh, children that grew up in the 90s. Uh, and, you know, and Marvel, like, kind of, like, was working with the, at that point, anyway, before they became, you know, the Marvel Studios owned by Disney that we know today. They're kind of working with these scraps, quote-unquote, characters, Iron Man, uh, even Captain America, you know, it's almost like a caricature. Um, uh, Hulk, sure, but at what, Universal owned Hulk, the rights to Hulk, it was sort of like a Sony situation, and uh, and Thor, you know, you had to take these characters, and this is what launched the MCU, and, and they made it work. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It felt like uh, the perfect storm of uh, events. 
Well, if they would have had the rights to X-Men and Fantastic Four and all that from the beginning, we probably wouldn't have gotten what we got or anything close to it. Yeah, none of them are like, uh, if you think of like a metaphorical Mount Rushmore of um, comic book characters, uh, none of the original Avengers from the film in the first phase belonged at that time on that Mount Rushmore, not even in terms of Marvel characters. Which is why, and I kind of mentioned this in our proto episode, it's frustrating when like you have, and again, I don't want to jump into phase two with Iron Man 3, uh, but you know, you kind of brought it up where there was all this backlash about, you know, the mishandling of the Mandarin. And it's like all these people complaining about it, you know, five or six years ago had no fucking clue who the Mandarin was probably because they didn't even know who who Iron Man was. But, uh, you know, I digress. (laughs) And Iron Man is a funny character too because when you think of – when you think of like famous comic books, not only characters, you think of like famous storylines and, you know, there's the Dark Phoenix and there's Days of Futures Past and there's Batman Year One and and all these like kind of iconic um, comic book runs. But Iron Man never, with the exception of maybe honestly like a cover to an Iron Man comic, uh, The Demon in the Bottle. I was just saying. That's the only thing I can remember as far as his storylines. Exactly. You know, he's not even a character that had like a memorable comic book storyline in terms of, you know, being widely popular. Obviously, the first movie took a lot of inspiration from um, the Warren Ellis soft reboot of uh, Extremis uh, from a couple years earlier, which... um, you know, it was popular among comic book readers, and you know, I picked it up and I and I adored it. But at the time, with the exception of a couple Avengers runs and uh, and Civil War, um, I, I hadn't picked up a, a solo issue of Invincible Iron Man. Fuck, man! Since I was like a little kid, he's almost like a Batman ripoff. You know, he's this rich playboy, and you know, uses tech uh, and not having superpowers. Has a butler, you know, which is why they uh, instantly changed it to an AI system. Uh, for Jarvis, um, they just thought it was too comparable to Batman having a butler, because uh, right, Jarvis was uh, was his butler in the comic. Jarvis was indeed his butler, but I mean, we even got Jarvis as a butler in the uh, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe with Agent Carter. You know, something that not a lot of people speak about, but I adored that. I adored that uh, series. We're not going to go down there. <laughs> the TV shows aren't canon. I'm just going to throw it out there now. Get that shit out of my phone. <laughs> but, I mean, in terms of, uh, you know, looking back at the bigger picture stuff, um, Iron Man 1, obviously, it blew our hair back and, and it brought comic book films and, and especially the Marvel character of Iron Man into the public consciousness. We got the Incredible Hulk, which was which was kind of a miss, but, you know, it introduced the post credit scene. The redheaded um, stepchild of the MCU. Yeah, no one really likes that movie, and if they do, um, they're either lying or, or have... Well, <laughs> I, I was going to say they're either lying or they have a horrible taste, but I... I, I, I <laughs> Nah, that's one of my least favorite movies, but that's no, yeah, I like it for the time. It doesn't hold up by today's standards, especially compared to what we're getting now with the current phase. But for the time, it was the good 
but yeah, it's it's my yeah, it least was, favorite. It of was MCU. okay. It it was okay, <laughs> but again, it had that post credit scene with Nick Fury. Here we go, and Iron Man two. I I mean, I don't like that movie very much. That might be my least favorite of the MCU well, movies it, personally. It, it went so like obviously John Favreau gave this just knocked it out of the park with the first Iron Man, and then you know so Incredible Hulk came out before Iron Man two, correct? Incredible Hulk came out before Iron Man two, right before, right? Yep. Yes. Yeah. So, and that was a little different and they were still, they had not found their groove and, uh, you know, it wasn't even a, uh, post credit scene where, you know, but that was where our, besides Nick Fury at the end of Iron Man, but that was our first real sort of definitive connective tissue yeah, that we're going to, this is, this is, we're doing this. And then, so Iron Man two, which is still John Favreau, it seems like, and again, you know, obviously Marvel does know how to get it done and knows what they're doing now, but um, they're definitely, and Avengers Age of Ultron also kind of had this where um, the studio kind of like took over and and was starting to affect the uh, creative, you know, what John Favreau kind of maybe wanted to do with Iron Man 2 and, and having notes and, and uh, Mandates. boxes to check. Um, you know, it was almost like, Iron Man 2 was just a stepping stone to Avengers, you know, Nick Fury being in there. And, and and it had so many other story threads that it was trying to, like, you know, Demon in the Bottle. It was obviously trying to address that. No, yeah, I hated the handling of that. Uh, it was one of the things that when I heard that they were going to do it, I was... Uh, granted, my expectations probably weren't reasonable. But, yeah, I, I just... Like, him getting drunk one night is not... <laughs> that's not alcoholism <laughs> to me. Like, it's... Travis, at Disney came on at that point was that uh negative negative okay. disney had not uh, officially marvel studios was on but they were not owned by disney proper i don't believe until the avengers everything else before that was previously distributed by paramount i thought maybe that had something to do with it travis that uh you know they watered it down uh oh yeah more accessible to a young yeah i could see that being like a disney call if it was them but yeah it was just it was what it was. Uh, it, uh, my expectations, like I said, were probably too high for that. Uh, but that was the only memorable. Well, I'm saying the only memorable Iron Man run or issue, really. But but that was the one that was in the public conscious. Was that cover of Tony at the mirror with that the mask shattered and the bottle? That's yeah, what yeah. you think of when you think of like, oh, what's the classic Iron Man comic book? That's what you thought of. So when you hear that they're adapting something like that, you you had every right to have your expectations set to a high bar. And and again, looking back at it, I don't love that movie. Mickey Rourke goes hard in that movie with the accent. It's kind of funny. Um, but but it was the real stepping stone where it was like, you want connective tissue. We're going to give you connective tissue. You want a shared universe. Here's what's happening right now. We got uh, we got Black Widow. We got a lot of S.H.I.E.L.D., a lot of S.H.I.E.L.D. and a lot of Nick Fury. And also later on, the way they've... Uh, some of the later movies make the previous movies more connected, like with uh, Gary Shandling's senator character being a member of Hydra in that, uh, Iron Man I, 2. Honestly, like, as, as much as I didn't like Iron Man 2, Iron Man and Iron Man 2 still felt like it lived in our world, you know, to a degree, even though it's a man in a flying metal suit. But, you know, it, it had, like, current, you know, events in terms of, like, him going to Afghanistan and, uh, you know, where you feel like, well, how are they going to be fighting a uh, alien from – a god alien from Asgard and, and make this work and match, like, 
the uh, tone from Iron Man and Iron Man 2, which is why, like, even though Winter Soldier is a very serious movie, um, that Hail Hydra, I didn't, I didn't buy a senator uh, saying something so silly. It's the worst line in the movie to me. Like, there's Ooh. not that they said it, just the way they did it was so awkward. Uh... I grew up on uh, Larry Sanders, and I, I love Gary Shandling, and the man, the man could do no wrong. He's and and so you know Iron Man, Incredible Hulk, and Iron Man too. And before, but before we move on to Thor, which started kind of changing the formula that I'm about to address with the first three these one movies. One last thing I wanted to say about Iron Man too, uh, like the costumes are a big thing to me. Like I want comic booky costumes in my comic book movies and War Machine looks the best in Iron Man 2 Agreed. Uh, compared to most of his later appearances where he's just like in a regular Iron Man suit painted different uh, it wasn't until like Infinity War and Endgame where he got another bulkier uh, weapony suit <laughs> that I liked uh, I think like the, the costume design in, in both for Iron Man and, and, and War Machine well, but you're right War Machine was like just it was like ripped from the pages, but and the way his suit was assembled, um, Tony and and War Machine having the pieces fly at them. I know later down the road that the nanotech is cool. I, I really do love it. I think it's it's a natural step, but it, it also feels like Tony. Um, well, not Tony. I, I'm see. I'm calling the actor Tony. Even like, I'm like I can't differentiate Robert Downey Jr. from Tony Stark. I'm sure he wants to be remembered as Sherlock and Doctor Doolittle, and not Tony Stark at this point, or whatever the fuck he's doing now. But um, you know, it's just him not wanting to dress up anymore. But you know, it was still a man in a suit, and I love the way the especially the race, um, the track scene, the European uh, race car scene when with the with the parts just flying at him and, and latching onto his body and shit like. That stuff is very exciting to watch the suit become assembled, too. Yeah, I was actually thinking of the suit-up scene in the first Iron Man when I rewatched it the other day. It was almost like nostalgic seeing it not be the nanotech and just, like, the long, laborious process of getting in the thing. It was it was nice to see the evolution of that. Right. One thing that we haven't talked about the Iron Man flicks is the chemistry with the supporting cast. We talked a good deal about... Uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s performance, but like uh, Gwyneth Paltrow uh, as Pepper Potts, I love that dynamic that they have. Uh, Agreed. Even though I'm not as big a fan of Gwyneth Paltrow, uh, you don't in, you don't use goo. You don't use goo. I, I'm just not big on bullshit, and that seems to be mostly <laughs> what you use. don't have one scented vagina candles lit in your house right now. Yeah, I have one right here. Kira, you have me on Facetime. This is my vagina goo candle. <laughs> Doesn't work for an audio medium, but I'm holding a candle up to uh, my ball sack right now. <laughs> but and and again, sorry, 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 sorry to talk about vaginas, but but Happy Hogan and and having John Favreau's a, a wonderful comedic actor, and he's a wonderful serious actor, and he's a wonderful Absolutely. director, and and he is so much fun as Happy Hogan in both of those. And movies. one of the few actors that got to play two different Marvel characters, albeit outside the MCU, but he was Foggy Nelson in in Fox's Daredevil. Oh, oh yeah, forget all about that. Uh... So you got him, you got Chris Evans, Johnny Storm, and Captain America. <laughs> I mean, Ryan Reynolds, oh, he's all over the fucking board. But. Yeah, he's all over the place. He, he writes letters to the studios in crayon saying, please put me in this, please. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, 
one thing we didn't mention uh, about Incredible Hulk was Tim Roth. Uh, he is the best thing about that movie for me. He's uh, the best. Yeah, I, and, like, uh, I like William Hurt too. Um, yeah, 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 but he doesn't get as much of a. He doesn't get punted into a fucking tree like that. <laughs> no, and it's almost like they took you know Hulk. Ang Lee's Hulk had a lot of you know critiques about it in terms. Love of, that like, movie, by the way. I, I do too. Is like an art house superhero movie, but like they, I guess people didn't respond well to just him um, outrunning the military, and it seems like they didn't really learn much from that because it's exactly what's going on in the incredible almost to where it's like a reboot but like a loose sequel uh yeah they really didn't know what they were doing they definitely seem to make it vague intentionally like i want to say it even uh, picks up where the angry film uh, i think to make it approachable and not jar or disorient casual fans maybe even though it kind of does so by you know incidentally by people not understand because i mean his his origin's different it does so by existing <laughs> yeah and uh, the origin actually not resembling less so resembling the comic book origins than ang lee's hulk and almost identical to the bill bixby uh incredible hulk show right which edward took a lot of inspiration from yeah, it's very obvious they took a lot of inspiration from, I mean... The musical the, uh, nods. And- good or bad? What do you guys think? I think for the best. Uh, it's it's hard to... The science-y stuff is, is really difficult to not sound stupid. I'm going to sound stupid trying to even explain this concept, but injecting someone with gamma rays and cosmic rays, it's all, it's all hogwash. So the, the least amount of that kind of stuff involved in making that stuff kind of vague and washed over that, that that's just fine that, Still, that's just fine in my book whether intentional or not it worked organically because it it kind of bleeds right and and molds right with you know the super soldier serum and captain america like uh you know bruce banner unbeknownst to him was uh just trying to recreate the formula from earth skin and in, in, uh, first avenger I, I still miss drunk Nick Nolte and those dogs, though. Oh, God. Like, he was just chewing the bejesus out of every scene that he was in. It's the best. Fucking field day. But we're not here to talk about fucking Yeah, subscribe to our Nick Nolte podcast. <laughs> Please, or else he'll kill us. Yeah, he'll literally, he has his captain. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, blink twice if you're okay, John. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm fine. I'll bark twice. I'll have my whole dog bark twice. It uh, means Nick Nolte's in the other room. Um, but, but again, um, Iron Man 2 happened. We start getting the connective tissue, and this leads us to Thor. Which- well, what I wanted to say real quick before we went into Thor is that Marvel, right off the bat, sort of painted themselves into this pattern and formula of their villain problem, which is just, uh, <laughs> Thor kind of like you know, fix it a little bit, but then Captain America went right back to it, which is making the villain sort of the dark reflection of the hero. So, you know, Ironmonger uh, and Iron Man was like an industrialist, but like everything negative about Tony. And uh, uh, as is, uh, well, Incredible Hulk, Abomination uh, is basically, you know, Hulk's fighting an evil version of himself. And I mean, I it's hard to get away from that since in the comics you do have a lot of that. I understand uh, that. And I just remember I remember seeing Incredible Hulk in the movie theater going, this is basically the third act of Iron Man, but instead of CGI uh, metal suits fighting each other, it's just CGI 
gamma monsters fighting each other. And I kind of, kind of made me lose a little interest. I think a lot of that in the comics goes back to what, what they were limited to actually printing color wise. Sure, um, yeah. Wasn't Hulk gray. Hulk was gray. It was very hard to get specific colors. Um, so it was kind of easier to just, you know, you have Iron Man yellow. Let's have him fight a gray suit that kind of looks like him and stuff like that. And, and, Plus the speed that they had to crank these things out, um, which is still to this day, you know, as somebody who who writes as a hobby and draws as a hobby and does creative things as a hobby. Oh, I can never get imagine. it, John. You're fucking. I know. I know. I'm a jack of all trades and a master of nothing. Um, <laughs> but uh, um, I couldn't imagine having a fucking deadline like that in the comics. So I think the easiest solution was nah, I could just draw another Iron Man and color him something a little different, you know, but that, that again, that, and also the freak of the week issue where these villains like Justin Hammer's the big one where I wish Justin Hammer was still around and, and I wish they kept He's um, probably coming back in armor. Yeah. War. With armor rewards being announced, I could see him popping up there without a doubt. And, uh, yeah, well, you know, uh, speaking of which, John, I don't, I don't think Ironmonger actually was there, at least not in pre-production or early, uh, you know, production hell. I think they did want to, John Favreau did want to go with the Mandarin, uh, but then thought maybe it was a little too uh, racist, racist, poor taste, or even like to update. They kind of did figure out a way to update it, but they- culturally inappropriate. Well, uh, in Iron Man, that, <laughs> that first Iron Man movie, the the character of Raza, uh, I. I firmly believe that he was going to be the Mandarin at some point. They even have like a, a, a scene with him twiddling his ring. Uh, well, and I mean, the, the, the organization was the Ten Rings, which is a clear... Yes, yes, it was the Ten Rings, and then uh, like, they end the character off-screen, which is always like a red flag that that character is going to return. Uh, if we don't see a character die, it's a safe suspicion. Uh, well, he, he and he was a, an actual John D. Can you uh, uh, elaborate on uh, what's his name again, uh, Travis? That oh, uh, Raza. I'm not sure if he's a character from the comics or not. I'm not able to tell us about it. I he's he is I. I'm stumped. I, I'm not really sure. Um, he was like I, the alien android or something like that. Oh, no. I, I saw someone. I did see that. I'm not. I think that someone didn't reach him because of the, the common name. Or like one of the star jammers is who they were thinking of, I, I believe. And this is not me figuring this out. This is obviously me reading. reading oh, I understand. Yeah, yeah. I've never seen that same article. And, yeah. Shout out to the Star Jammers, though. That's the dopest name in comic books, by the way. It's up there. It's up there. Yeah, it's up there. It's like a cool uh, band name. I'm curious if we'll ever see them in the MCU and how they'll differentiate them from the Guardians. Yeah, we've had bits and pieces of them in the Guardians movies and everything like that. Um, and I mean, even us talking about things like like you know, guardians and, and, and outer space cosmic stuff. And the fact that we have those things now um, talking about how grounded the, the first few Marvel movies were, you know, everything was earth-based. It all felt like it was, it was on this planet and, and technology, not within our grasp, but technology that we could at least imagine because it looked like a car. It looked like a spaceship. Yeah. The suspension of disbelief was um, rather simple for the common viewer. Until Academy Award winner right. Kenneth Branagh, bring, bring us in, John, bring us in. <laughs> directed the first Thor movie, which out of all of the original uh, Phase One films, I think was the the biggest risk. 
Everyone was oh, absolutely. It's the one. This. Yeah. It's the one that I was least looking forward to. I had never really cared about Thor as a kid, but I, I think they did a pretty decent job of introducing the character, adapting and tweaking things as needed. Uh, like dropping the old timey speech was a, a big, uh, big thing. They ended up having fun with that, though. Absolutely. I am a little disappointed that, uh, granted, it's an origin film and need some Earth stuff there for him. But uh, with the Thor movies, I tend to want cosmic stuff. Uh, and you him being like stuck on Earth most of the In New Mexico was kind of like... Uh, yeah, yeah. It's like the Destroyer school, but uh, yeah. I think him on Earth isn't as much, um, and and that that whole movie, like I I like Thor, I did, and I like I like I saw it, but like it also felt like, whereas even Betty Ross and uh, Bruce Banner and Incredible Hulk, because they had already had a romantic past, and and the dynamic between Pepper and and Tony, like you said, the, the one in Thor was the first time where it really just did not quite seem uh, a natural, believable sort of connection like they knew each other for a couple of days and all yeah yeah i like i didn't really care for the the whole romance much uh i do think it's funny that uh betty's new boyfriend uh defends the guy that's trying to fuck his girlfriend (laughs) (laughs) it's one of the things that sticks out to me when i watch that movie it's uh well and what's it that actor's name is from modern family Oh, I, I'm not sure. Oh, the guy who plays Phil on Modern Family? I like that guy. Well, you know what? The first time I saw him in uh, was in uh, Dawn of the Dead. And um, mm-hmm. I, I was like, this guy's fucking gay. <laughs> like, just, I like that guy. But, like, he just seems so flamboyant. So maybe maybe, uh, maybe the uh, Betty's boyfriend was just using her for a beard. So I don't know. <laughs> one small thing that about Thor that I like that almost no one else will care about is being a big fan of Asian film and, and Japan especially. The casting of Hogan uh, made me excited because uh, Tadanobu Asano has uh, been a, in a lot of great movies and he's a, a terrific actor. Uh, and there's a humorous interview where he uh, talks about how he assumed that, that movie was going to be for children and was kind of surprised when he went to the screening and it was mainly like 30 year olds. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Smelly yeah. 30 year olds with beards on their neck. <laughs> neck beards. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like how, um, I, I mean, at the time I was, I was very, has at, I, just for a little bit of context, after Iron Man 2, as much as I love comic books and everything, Iron Man 2 left a very bad taste in my mouth with the connective tissue thing. Sure, yeah. And I didn't think, yeah, I, I didn't think that they were going to pull it off. And I wasn't sold until opening night of the Avengers. Um, as much as I did enjoy Thor, um, I think partially because um, I'm a... Uh, 35-year-old Italian-American from Long Island. So having this beautiful... Um, Jewish girl from Syosset and the lead was a big thing. I have a big crush on Natalie Portman. I kind of grew up with her. Um, But also I, I love corny hammy um, stuff. Like when they go really big and, and I think Kenneth Branagh went as big as you can get. Like I I read in there, I have the quote pulled up right now. Ray Stevenson said, uh, Ken, I think I'm going too big. I don't want to dip my toes into the river of ham. Ken uh, Kenneth Branagh responded to me. No, bathe in the river of ham. I've bathed in it many times. It's a great river. 
That's an exact quote from the guy. Um, and, and I, and I love, uh, I love fantasy and I love medieval stuff. And even a bad Lord of the Rings ripoff is, is very watchable to me. So, so getting to see just elves and people speaking in old broken middle English is, is a fun time at the theater for me. So. And uh trivia alert, you brought up Volstag, uh, Ray Stevens, right? Yeah, he was he's one of the uh two timer club yeah, too. Punisher. Mm-hmm. Which is so again, can't go off on that tangent, but God I love oh, it. About how great Warzone is and how it's the best Punisher movie. Yeah, I know. It is. I uh subscribe to our Warzone podcast. Yes, yeah, yeah, it's coming. It's coming. Uh, <laughs> um yeah. one thing about uh, uh I don't know if we should even get into it, but the Infinity Gauntlet Easter egg in the first Thor movie. Clearly our our first uh indication that there was not a blueprint at that time. Uh, <laughs> uh, we'll get yeah, you can and, to... and wiped away continuity wise later down the road, which is something Travis brought up before. How they cleverly kind the of best way they mistakes. could, yeah, 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 yeah. I have a working theory or a working justification for why Odin has a, a fake Infinity Gauntlet, and it's basically that it's to dissuade people from seeking out the uh, Infinity Stones if they think they'll have to go. Uh, or, or you Asgard. know, I don't want to go too much into already going to phase three and discuss Ragnarok. Yeah, yeah, I understand, I understand. But Stella, uh, you know, obviously made some revelations about, uh, you know, uh, Odin's original, um, you know, how he was. Mm-hmm. Revelations by a, a passing, push it over and say fake and well, push I'm it away. Like, <laughs> very well could have been that Odin, since he was, you know, conquering the uh, the other realms and taking, you know, and building his, you know, city out of out of their gold. You know, maybe Odin was trying to assemble the uh, Infinity Stones for. Oh yeah, that's definitely another uh, potential theory that that's believable uh, at at the very least. Uh, One uh, thing that the first Thor movie really did. Um, that we as um, a species and society and culture should be very thankful for is introducing us to Tom Hiddleston and introducing a mainstream audience to Tom Hiddleston. Dude's a smoke show, dude can act, and dude is very charming. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, um, and Chris Hemsworth's biceps. Uh, well, Chris and Chris Hemsworth is awesome. And, and you know, I, whether it's his fault or not, obviously he knew who he was playing, Thor. Um, I'm so happy that Marvel was cognizant of how he just has funny in his bones and we're able to integrate that into Thor going forward because honestly that guy is like the comedic timing of any of the great you know comedic actors that are working today like yeah he's wonderful I know a lot of people talk shit about uh the newest uh girl ghostbuster movie but I and if anyone other than our friends listens to this, I'm gonna get ragged on. Um, I really, guys, whoever's listening to this, fuck. All right, I, I like that movie. I think it's funny. I think it totally works. I think it's a very charming movie. And if you haven't seen it, Chris Hemsworth is great. He's a, I'll, I'll, he is a shining uh, little gem on that turd. But um, yeah, you can put lipstick on a pig. It's still a pig. But I like that movie. And and that's that is one was one of our first uh, you know show, uh, where we saw the comedic talent of Chris Hemsworth and, and uh, you know join us for our Ghostbuster podcast. Yeah, join us for our 2016 Ghostbuster yes, podcast. Yes, absolutely. Um, coming to a theater near you. Um, yeah, like like review and subscribe. And uh, oh, cool, we were talking about Tom Hiddleston. Obviously, yes. I mean, like he's he took a villain who maybe I'm not. I don't want to misspeak, but he might have 
I guess they knew that he was coming back with Avengers, but like they had been pretty much doing one-off villains. Um, even if they knew that he was coming back in Avengers, did they know that Loki was going to be one of the most beloved characters in the MCU, uh, even as a villain? You know, people love to hate him, and then people love to love him. People love to be tricked by him and never trust him. And Tom Hiddleston just pulled it off every fucking time. Yeah, it was really nice to see him get more and more comfortable with the with the character as they went on. Uh, just the evolution of it is very enjoyable to watch. And one thing I, I do remember about reading about him was uh, he would do different takes of Loki, uh, where one he'd be playing him like straight as Tom Hiddleston, one where he would be doing like a Clint Eastwood sort of like uh, thing, and then another one where he would be just batshit crazy Jack Nicholson. And uh, interesting, and it's kind of like what they did with American Psycho uh, with Willem Dafoe. I'll, I'll give you, I'll elaborate about that in a second, just to prove my point. But like they mixed those different takes, um, they picked and choose to just make Loki just untangible. And, and what is he, what is going on? Which is what they did with Willem Dafoe. Uh, they that one interrogation scene. Uh, he asked, uh, "Does does he? Do I know that he's the uh, person that I'm looking for?" And the director had said, uh, do one where you know and do one where you don't know and do one where you don't think it's him. And then she cut it, you know, and just to make it completely uh, like a bizarre fun scene. That's wild. I, I had no idea. That's that's super fucking cool. Join us for our American Psycho podcast. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Um, the, uh, the Thor movies also were one of the first ones to go hard on some real crazy comic book stuff and bring, I mean, there's a literal rainbow bridge in the Thor comics. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I wow. know we're laughing at it, you know, because I remember being a kid and, and I didn't read a ton of the old journey into mystery comics. And a lot of the Thor that I read other than um, like, obviously I think we all read heroes reborn, the, um, the greatest um, comic book run of all time. Um, but um I did read the Walt Simonson uh, Thor run a great deal of that um, when I was a kid and picked up the back issues and they were so colorful and they were so fun. And, and I was a fantasy kid growing up and, and, you know, I still read and, and watch uh, a lot of fantasy and, and like high fantasy stuff. And, and that was as close as I was kind of getting at that time. Cause I didn't dabble into, you know, independent comics and where you would kind of find those things otherwise. Um, so having that kind of, you know, high fantasy world set within the Marvel universe as a kid was, was a shitload of fun. And, and I remember going to Thor opening night and just thinking like, holy shit, there's going to be a rainbow bridge in this movie. And there's going to be people like, you know, like, how are they going to do this? And and they got Anthony Hopkins to, to play fucking um, Odin. It's, it's like Sir Anthony Hopkins. I'm sorry um, to, to play Odin and, and just bringing that colorful imagery to life. And, just doing away with you know what travis mentioned earlier he hated the, the the black latex costumes and making everything look edgy and cool and everyone wearing whatever sunglasses were popular at the time you know oakley's or ray-bans or whatever the fuck it was whatever the year it came out uh that's hardly dated now um some things are always going to be you know corny old-fashioned fun and and thor was not scared to stray from that and they went for it so it, it like that movie or not i do especially in hindsight uh going back and looking at it i i give it a fuckload of respect for just not caring and going all in on some of the rather silly stuff yeah, yeah. 
Uh, that kind of leads us to uh, Captain America's first Avenger, since the uh, the after credit scene leads to that, and then first Avenger. What was the after credit scene for the first Thor? What was the after credit scene for from Thor, Travis? Oh, it's uh, the Tesseract and what was it like a Nazi suitcase or something? Interesting. Right. Which uh, which kind of contradicts uh, what Avengers sets up, but you know, again, Marvel. Oh yeah, quite have their uh, they hadn't found their rhythm yet. Uh, but go on. Yeah, but they kind of they did start. You know, you know, leading into Captain America. You know, we had these we had these grounded, cool action films with Favreau's Iron Man films. We had this uh, mix of high fantasy and a popcorn film with Thor, and then we get Captain America, which is an something I really do love, an old-timey, World War II, pulpy adventure film. Yep, Travis, you want to bring us into Captain America? Say again? You want to bring us into Captain America? Oh, no, I mean, it, just, it starts with the, the scene of the Red Skull uh, seeking the Tesseract uh, and, like, the big mural of Yggdrasil. Yeah, Yggdrasil, yeah. Yggdrasil, yeah, I'm not going to say Man, it. You know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, one of the best parts about these movies is learning how to pronounce those Yggdrasil. words. there we go. Yggdrasil, maybe, yeah. Uh, but yeah, starting off that with the uh, the actor that plays uh, Walder for in Game of Thrones, it's a terrific actor. When he pops up in places, but uh, and that that really nice Nazi mobile that the Red Skull drives. I... <laughs> yeah, it's sick. Uh, Hugo Weaving, and we talked about Nick Nolte and his uh, scene showing in Angley's Hulk. But like you know, Hugo Weaving just being fucking Hugo Weaving. <laughs> Mm-hmm. With, that, with that Nazi accent, that's just like perfect. Uh, I, I I did like him. I, I thought that was perfect casting for, for Tommy Lee Jones too. One of our greats. Oh yeah, like and how did they get him? Like it's just it's like these <laughs> Anthony Hopkins and Thor. Like like you can't believe like what they're in dressing right now. They're they're in on this. They're gonna do it. I heard a story about Anthony Hopkins when he gets scripts, he circles them and he writes N A R and it stands for no acting required. <laughs> I, 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 I'm not even joking because I don't know if you guys have seen um, the American classic uh, Transformers the last night, um, but he is a big part of that. And he says, pretty cool, dude. And it's wild. He was, he was obviously uh, buying a, you know, a chateau in Italy or something for that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. So, but but totally different. Like here we are. It's 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 the same universe. It's the same world that that you know everything else is is connected to, and it's all intertwined. But we have a totally different kind of film made by a totally different kind of filmmaker with a new cast of characters um, that still feels one of a larger piece. At the same time, um, it feels very individual to itself, um, and setting it in a different time period, I think, was very smart. Uh, in terms of you know not only getting Captain America's history, but um, just just setting it apart from the rest of the crop, we weren't sick of it, you know. Well, unpopular theory, but like uh, that is like why I couldn't quite. Uh, I didn't enjoy it as much as the other. Uh, you know, call me shallow or uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, period pieces. It was the same thing with Wonder Wonder Woman uh, with World War One. I, I just it wasn't for me. Um, they're very but, similar movies. Like they both have their like sort of howling commandos <laughs> unit a little bit, but well, like it was aesthetically pleasing and beautiful because like 
it wasn't necessarily a realistic portrayal of World War II and Captain America. It was sort of like Joe John. Yeah, yeah. I I've tried to post this theory online before where it's, uh, it feels less like what was really happening and more like a, a propaganda comic adapted where it's like he does some ridiculous things in the movie that don't, like, don't feel real even in the context of the rest of these movies, but... I mean, and that's what much like, of the original... Uh, Kirby and uh, Simon Captain America comics were they were they were propaganda oh, comics. Absolutely, absolutely. Like it's Captain America punching out Hitler on the cover. Ah, <laughs> uh, but yeah, and you can also tell that this was directed by the same guy that did the Rocketeer. Like it, it, it's right in line there. Uh, well, that's why they hired him. I think that's that's the look that they wanted for it. No. Yeah, and that's a good move too. He's he's also great. Um, I'm not sure if you guys are aware, but Joe Johnson was. Uh, the special effects head for the original um, Star Wars films and, and Jurassic Park as well. well. Did he direct of, Jurassic Park three? He did ju- direct Jurassic Park three, which basically I basically like picking like someone took the unused parts of the books, the first two books, and uh, that's kind of then just kind of th- threw it in a soup and made a script out of it for an hour and a half. Yeah, but it's more fun than Jurassic Park two, and and you want big pulpy fun. He's he's a guy you go to for big pulpy fun. I I think he made uh, Honey I Shrunk the Kids as well. Did he? Why do I want to? Yeah, you're probably right. I don't know why I think Robert Zemeckis when I think that, but um, no, because of the the CGI probably. But no, I'm pretty sure yeah, he had directed that. You know, The Rocketeer, which was kind of a, a swing and a miss for Disney at the time, but. You know Jennifer Connelly's a smoke show, and and I I love maniacal Nazis in disguise, <laughs> and you know a big fun all American uh, hero just punching them right in the fucking jaw, and and Captain America the First Avenger gave us a lot of that, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the way it ends too, uh, with the red skull being sucked off into God knows where at the time. Uh, God, there's no, really no way to talk about it just in the context of just Phase 1, but I remember really hoping that he would pop back up again since his fate was... Uh, I, f- I felt more so with him and, and what happened, what the infi- what the space, we didn't know it was a space stone then, but like... Yeah, yeah. Like, didn't it seem like it had opened up like a space portal even, like uh, when he sort of like... Yeah, yeah, you can see the stars and everything whenever the portal opens. That they were they were writing themselves an out in case they wanted to bring Red Skull back. Yeah, well, I mean, with Captain America, Red Skull was like his main villain, and uh, Marvel. These movies have had the problem of like killing off villains before their time. I feel, uh, but with that one, at least they did it somewhat right, where it wasn't like a hard end for the character. Correct. Uh, it's not as much as the uh, of an end as the guy that Captain America throws into a propeller and gets Which turned is, into like, a blood mist. Let's talk about that for a second, because like a lot of people like to make fun of Captain America and like that he's this square and like you know Batman doesn't kill people and you know Superman's not killing Captain America's fucking throwing people into propellers and like off heli- helicarriers and mm-hmm. and using guns. Yeah, yeah, well, you have to think he's an actual soldier. He's a soldier, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Also, they were Nazis. I, they I did. Kind of, that's what I was about to mention. Is that I don't know how they got away with uh, that blood mist scene with it being a PG thirteen movie. I just have to assume it's like. Aliens and Nazis don't count as people, <laughs> so it's okay to eviscerate them. Uh, yeah, 
And uh, to go off of like a one, uh, it just made me remember a point <clears throat> about him being a soldier. Uh, I, I one critique, um, obviously the dynamic between him and Bucky was a huge arc going through all of the Captain America films and then even into the Avenger films. But like, you know, obviously this is where um, we we meet Bucky, of course, and where he uh, seems to perish. Anyone who's a comic book fan knew what was going on there, especially when we saw him strapped to that table. Um, people, people had said like, they didn't think, uh, Steve mourned enough, uh, when he lost Bucky, he was just kind of like sitting there, but like, again, Steve's a soldier. So, uh, it did obviously affect him deeply, but there's still the mission to do. Absolutely. And he tries uh, to bring that, uh, into Avengers, uh, you know, with Tony and, and, and agent Coulson and they have that conversation that we'll get to. That was a that was a rule for decades in comics. Like obviously the the world of comics is kind of infamous for nobody stays dead in comics except, you know, Uncle Ben, Bruce Wayne's parents and Bucky and And um, Quicksilver. <laughs> which Quicksilver? Uh, <laughs> goddamn well which <laughs> No. But uh, but yeah, having having Bucky uh Bucky Parish, you know, I I mean the general public didn't didn't really know what the winter soldier was or any of that but the comic book reading community uh the winter soldier was what was that 2008 when that ed brubaker run had come out yeah Um, yeah and that was all yeah something like that and that was all relatively new shit and we were like holy shit you know like they brought bucky back from the dead that's literally 80 years you know It it was a crazy thing and inform our listeners bucky did not look like that in the original uh, Captain America comics. Did. No, he was like a little boy in uh, pixie boots. He's basically Captain America's Robin, you know? Yeah, yeah, very much so. Uh, yeah, they were really into bringing 12-year-old boys to war, I guess. <laughs> I'm starting up young. What it was a, a simpler time. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but, okay. Now these libtards won't let any of us fight. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Fucking Obama. Anyway. Yeah, this is definitely. Uh, fucking PC. So any, um, uh, any, uh, well, Stark's dad is the other big one. Um, you know, just, you know, kind of like, honestly, that kind of felt like a victory lap at the time, you know, we're living in, uh, you know, post infinity saga world now and you know everything is connected and it's it's second nature to think oh this and this and this are all going to come up and all this speculation and and all cards are on the table you know all their chips are in but at the time that 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 felt like a like full circle victory lap like holy shit tony stark's dad that was like one of the biggest things in my eyes i remember so dominic cooper um was playing Howard Stark. Obviously, they had already what is his name? John Slattery, the great John yes, Slattery. Yes, yes. Um, had already played Howard Stark in Iron Man two. Um, do you think Dominic Cooper? Because I don't think he was trying to emulate Slattery at all. Was he trying to be a young, like a different for a younger Tony? Or um, yeah, I definitely thought he pulled more from. Pulled more from Robert Downey Jr.'s performance than he did from Slattery's. I heard uh, people saying they thought they looked a lot alike. I I, I didn't. I don't know. Maybe uh, I don't. There's a vague uh, similarity there, but yeah, it's definitely a Howard Hughes vibe, which was a big absolutely. Uh, uh, 
There's a World's Fair scene too. That's that's quite a bit of fun. Oh yeah, you just got like a a fun original like Golden Age Human Torch Easter egg. Right. right. I was hoping that one of you guys were going to bring that up. Yeah, yeah. I always forget about it, and then when I watch it again, there it is. Uh, pretty much. I've always secretly wanted superhero uh, along with uh, Namor. I've always secretly wanted a uh, you know uh, Invaders film um you know with like human torch bucky namor and it's like those old timely characters i'm I'm rather partial to uh you know world war ii action and and pulp good old punching nazis in the face stuff and and they they're they're a fun team um and that world's fair scene with uh with tony's dad is is a ton of fun yeah well uh, i did say it's uh what is the technology uh the the car failed it was supposed to be a hovering car and uh he had a funny line i'm butchering it and i'm just gonna go sit in the corner now and the future today or something fucking kill me for this no oh, yeah just chucking empty bottles of whiskey at you <laughs> from across the room Christ. um the end of that movie i remember like mystery science theater 3000 making fun of the, and are we going to have our dance and we're going to have our dance? Like whatever they were saying, I remember just thinking like, Jesus Christ, this is, yeah, they were, they were laying it on pretty thick. Yeah. It comes back full circle though. Again, you know, it's hard to talk about these things in a, uh, in the context of where we are now, but you know, they got their dance and, and all was right with the world. Yeah. Again, obviously we don't want to get ahead of each other ourselves, but like, yeah, that was like, you know, they, they didn't tie every loose end together, but when they did, they, they really, they made it work. They did. And then he got turned into a popsicle. And uh, it brings us to the Avengers, right? Yep. And uh, the post-credit scene <laughs> this time just shame shamelessly being a trailer for Avengers instead of wasn't it? I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. Yes. It was. What was it? Was it an actual trailer or oh, was yeah, it, it a scene? I, I should have done my homework. It was a teaser sorry. trailer for Avengers. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. But you know, hey. We got footage from Avengers, though. Well, I want to say, isn't there like a second? There's there, there's a proper post credit scene where uh, Cat uh, wakes up in modern day, and he's... that's that's actually just the end of the movie. It's not a post. Oh, is it? No. Okay, okay. For some reason, I thought that was an after credit scene. It's been a minute since I've rewatched no. that. One. And I actually like that. As unpopular as you know, Captain America: First Avenger is on my list. Um, I did like that ending. You know, I had a date. And, yeah, yeah, I do like that it comes full circle for him. I like when the stories do that, even if it is a little predictable at times. Uh, I, I know not everyone was thrilled. I have uh, one friend in particular that, that hates uh, Captain America's ending. Uh, and just like the dismissal of Agent 13 without uh, really any comment. Uh, anyway, on to Avengers. Yeah, I mean, after these films and before Avengers were you guys excited for this movie and did you think that it would it would be the payoff that it eventually obviously ended up being for Avengers yeah for Avengers um, In, at, at that time don't think of it I know as right now think of it as you know whatever it was 2012 you had seen all the Marvel movies in the theaters or whatever leading up to that point in time. 
and this is the culmination of everything. Yeah. Did were you guys excited? I, Did I you was, think they pull it off? I was very jazzed, and at the time, I was I was in I was living in Texas, um, single, a bachelor, my past life, and uh, was always seeing. You know, I the, I saw Thor there uh, opening night and Captain America, and was very jazzed. But I do like I always am. Like I said, I was going to be the voice on this. I was worried. Um, cautious, uh, you know, and, and honestly, I'm probably going to be, no one's going to agree with me and I'm probably really off, you know, I'm, I'm not accurate about this, but like, I remember I, I loved Avengers and it was like the greatest entry in the MCU at that point. And honestly, something that had never been done in cinema before that real milestone, but like it didn't seem like its own movie. Like it, it, it seems, um, like a gimmick um to me uh just even like while watching it or before you went to see it leading up to it did it feel like watching it like uh the obviously they're in a helicarrier so there wasn't really much of an option anyway but like it just felt like they were on a set and uh almost like a, a show even again like i guarantee i'm completely off base here and nobody agrees with me but i do for whatever reason remember i again but i loved it and especially like because it it gets you in um with you know bringing them together and them just completely butting heads and when we get that um you know third act fight of them coming together i don't want to gloss over the whole movie because obviously you guys are gonna talk about it too uh, i was completely blown away and, and and loved it but um yeah i guess my answer to your question john is very excited couldn't wait Cautious, cautiously optimistic hoping they would pull it off they did it pull it off but like i would just be in my you know bitchy self about like you know trying to find flaws in something that maybe doesn't have flaws i don't know no i i kind of with you Tra- travis what about you were you excited did you oh think yeah very much so like uh, uh just knowing that it was leading towards this like uh i was cautiously optimistic like uh, it, it was going to be nice to see these characters interact even if they wound up not being successful and uh, thankfully they were able to pull it off in a, a way that uh, was satisfying for most people. Because if they hadn't, that's it. You know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like that that post credit scene would be meaningless if they don't get to make another. It's. Let me before uh, you, before you give your answer, John. Let me ask you this: How many people in the theater when you saw it do you think were being honest that they knew who the fuck that was at the uh, end? Yeah. <laughs> I remember explaining who that mansplaining, uh, who that was at the end, Iron Mansplaining, who that was at the end, um, to several members of the audience after that movie. Distinct memory for me was uh Oh damn, like who was that? You don't know who that was? No, who was it? That was Hellboy. <laughs> Just like Really? I swear to God. That's awesome. Yeah. I wish it was Hellboy. That would have been a totally different world and crazy. But <laughs> well, yeah, I think a lot of people were definitely uh, <laughs> putting on fronts there. Um, I I remember, um, again, I I was very into the 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 comic book movies and all the Marvel movies at that point. Um, you know, to various degrees of enjoyment. And I even the ones I didn't like and I was dismissive about, I, I still enjoyed, but yeah, um, yeah. W- starting with Iron Man two, that's when I the things that felt um 
almost forced and and unnecessary were the um the, it's all connected stuff yeah it was all the all the you know continuity between them and as a comic book reader you know i grew up with that stuff and kind of thrived on that stuff and i was a vocal hater before i saw the avengers on opening night um i was saying no way can this happen this is such a joke i you know i was a joss wow. whedon fan yeah i was a joss whedon fan as well um you know, I really loved his uh, comic book work on the X-Men and, and even, you know, after he took over on the Runaways, I, I, I dug that stuff. But I'm saying it's a, they got a fucking TV guy to make a movie um, that's going to be a glorified uh, television series finale. Well, maybe that's kind of like where I was going off of. But like, you know, love him or hate him, especially right now. Um, Just reading made this happen um he did he did and um i i saw that movie at the uh you know the the, i think at the time it wasn't midnight anymore and they were doing the eight o'clock thursday screenings and i dragged my my ex-wife um who divorced me right after the the seeing it (laughs) but um shout out to john's ex-wife um stay tuned for our ex-wife podcast um but um I, I I dragged her to go see it. Rate, review, subscribe. Uh, but I I took her to go see it, and she could see how infuriated and worked up I was beforehand. And and she held my hand in the theater and said, "It's going to be okay." And I was like, "I hope it's going to be okay. It better be at least okay." And like, even with the trailers, that's how. You- even with the trailers, I, I even with Robert Downey, um, I I had like. I don't know what it was. Maybe, um, you know, I was in my mid twenties and it was kind of like a cynical point for me. Um, I don't know. And I got up on my feet several times during the movie and there was a group of younger kids behind me and we were like high-fiving during the movie. Like I, I was literally like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like giving these kids like, like, like high-fiving at one point like one little kid got so worked up by me doing it he ran down the row like at, like a hockey game where we all put our hands out and he just ran back and forth like i was really excited in the middle of that movie and boy was i wrong and boy was i the first to admit i was wrong and i and i ate my lunch and i ate my words and um and i fucking i i loved that movie well one concern that i that has dawned on me that kind of like does kind of articulate where I was coming from better than I was before just studying, stuttering through it. One concern I was having, and quite frankly, I feel like this has been a concern in the um, group Avenger Avengers movies was these characters being mishandled by a different director than where these came from. You know, John Favreau had uh, Tony Stark and would it be cohesive um, mm-hmm. and I feel like that, 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 that happened for me mostly, I feel like as much as infinity war and Endgame are great. Um, I feel like they really took James Gunn's guardians of the galaxy and ex- with the exception of maybe Gamora and Drax, um, they did not do service to star Lord. Um, they really made him a whiny like irresponsible bitch in it and uh one of my we'll get to this and I, i'm trying to try not to go too in depth in it I, I feel like my one of my favorite characters nebula 
I just didn't feel like that was the same nebula I was watching from the James Gunn movies. But um, I digress. Um, I was worried about it not molding well with the characters that had come before. To take these different auteur directors, like you brought up Kenneth Branagh, Joe Johnston, John Favreau, their characters, and then hand them off to Joss Whedon and now have to juggle and handle them and do service to everybody. Would, would he be able to pull it off? Uh, for the most part, yeah. He was a comic book guy and getting a comic book guy and a television guy and, and somebody who um, not only is familiar with serialized storytelling, but but thrived on serialized storytelling uh, was definitely the best move that they could have made at that point, um, albeit a gamble. Um, but they got somebody who not only read comic books and loved comic books, but wrote comic books that were legit and um that that was that's a big move you know he is he an artur maybe not um but he definitely has this distinct style he's always thrived on um group settings and and larger cast yep you know his best comic book works you know like buffy the vampire slayer and um what's the nathan fillion show and movie uh uh serenity yeah firefly yeah um, uh, and yeah, that such different characters too on with this particular movie, uh, letting them bounce off of one another. In, and that was also you know, ways. that was a hurdle too. Is like you have you're gonna have to have Tony Stark, who's just like you know, he, he enters the room and it's Tony Stark, and now like not only do you have to give everyone else their proper due and service, but like Tony's not even the leader of the Avengers. So like, is can you see Robert Downey Jr.'s Tony Stark? you know, marching to Steve Rogers Fife. And I think he did pretty well by the uh, end of the movie. Uh, you know, call it cat. He says in the, in the battle. And uh, one thing that no one's brought up right now or up to this point is uh, one of the best moves as far as I'm concerned for Marvel is replacing Edward Norton with Mark Ruffalo. <laughs> oh, he's so charming. The redesign he's- of, uh, of Hulk too, because I'm not saying I, I hated Edward Norton's portrayal of Bruce Banner, but like, I thought that design of, of Hulk and the incredible Hulk was a little curious. And um, it's weirdly, uh, very vascular, like the veins are odd and it's just odd looking in general. It's not a bad first attempt, but they've definitely, uh, gotten better with each film, and they they claim to have used Edward Norton's likeness um, to make it look like a hulked out Edward Norton. I saw absolutely zero resemblance in. Uh, yeah, I don't either. Really, like yeah. as as opposed to Mark Ruffalo's Hulk, uh, perfect. Like uh, you could see him in there. Uh, the uh, the CGI at the time of the Ed Norton Hulk, um, there's some glaring lighting issues with um, motion capture performances and and like hair and follicle issues um, that you know they're they're getting better and better as these films go. Obviously, like Hulk wears a fucking sweater and he's in like full on daddy mode with fucking glasses and stuff now, and you could see like the the light reflecting off his glasses onto his face. Same thing with Thanos, like you know you could see hair beard stubble on these guys yeah, yeah full daddy thanos too yeah I, i'd kind of like for there to be a special edition all off stories where they make thanos more consistent uh throughout the mcu i know it won't happen but it's just it would be nice uh well they they because obviously 
they couldn't have Infinity War be a four-hour movie. But, like, I know that that was supposed to be, like, and it kind of was, where Thanos was the quote-unquote protagonist. And, like, he was almost, like, even more centered in that movie in their original script. I, I At least that's what I read. Um, they were supposed to go into his backstory a lot more. But, um yeah yeah I, i'm hoping we haven't really seen the last of them even if it even if roland doesn't stick around for uh but again but that, yeah that's the double-edged sword of you know marvel refusing to uh follow through with killing off you know some of these characters um they, they could always just bring a wheelbarrow or a dump truck full of money robert downey jr again but right. whatever I mentioned that like ninety Silver Surfer was uh, one of the main comics I read as a kid, and Thanos is in that pretty fucking heavily. So like, yeah, very much. Yeah, not getting to see him in Silver Surfer go at it uh, will be one of my little disappointments with the, the MCU. It's no fault of theirs; it, it's timing. Uh, well, they have plenty of big bads to go to. I hope it's a little bit more uh, Earth based. Ham Ham Doctor Doom or. Um, you know, it could be um, Kang, um, but to go like, for instance, what I'm getting at is to like go into Galactus right after Thanos. Mm-hmm. It's almost like that would be them repeating, trying to repeat the formula. Yeah, yeah that's the formula Galactus or Annihilus or Kang or something along those lines as the next big cosmic bad. But yeah, with them putting out so much content now, I think they'll be able to get to the big bads a lot quicker if they so choose. Like we already know. That King is apparently coming, uh, and there's so many that they could introduce in pretty short order if they really wanted to, without it feeling as, uh, not a one-off, obviously. Like, if they introduce Doom, you want him to be around for a while. Uh, yeah, I mean, stick around for our next episode where I probably end up talking about how Kang might already be yeah, here. we're like- definitely <laughs> going to be going into uh, more obscure territory when we start discussing WandaVision episodes and, and our speculation, especially John, who has some far out but wonderful, intriguing theories. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so, eventually, I mean, any- that, that kind of brings us to, to the, well, we haven't talked about Hawkeye. We or stay, Black Widow, really. Or Black Widow. I know. There's a lot of things from, obviously, each movie that we, unfortunately, yeah. Uh, yeah, we got to gloss over, give our impressions and stuff. But I, I do want to give Jeremy Renner a shout out. Hawkeye is a character that people still don't take seriously, but I, I think he does a very competent job at serving his place in these right. films. And we we talked about that offline about you know it being you know comic accurate, even though it was mind control in the movie that you know Hawkeye was you know sort of introduced as not necessarily a protagonist. So that that was a nod nod to that. Uh, they uh they knocked it out of the park. How long were you waiting for that? Oh, I've been um, waiting the whole time. So one thing that sorry, did I slip? Um, one thing that they didn't get to do though for Hawkeye is like he's like a, he's like a smartass, right? He is a smartass. He's kind of a smartass in those movies. He he's always and like the guy like, like oh, I'll pick up my shit. And I'll- in Age of Ultron, they gave him that, but like we didn't get quite get that in uh, in Avengers. And we didn't get the mask. Still oh, I know the mask. Uh, you know, but again, like the way they they're did- saving it for Wolverine and the obviously pointy 
I'm masked. We're... A couple, a couple of Halloweens ago, just like a side note, um, the girl I was seeing and myself were going to be you Hawkeye. Get and Black Widow. Get girlfriends, humble brag, humble brag. No, sorry, but um, we were uh, going as Hawkeye and Black Widow for Halloween, and I had this Hawkeye uh, costume on, and I showed up. Oh, you were Hawkeye. House. I was Hawkeye, and I showed up at her house, and um, she was dressed as Ant Man. And I guess she went to Party City that day and found an Ant-Man costume. and was like, check it out. I found this Ant-Man costume. Isn't it cool? And I'm like, now I just look like this fucking idiot. Like, 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 like just... worst Ant-Man? Like, that, like full-on Ant-Man like costume. Because, you know, I'm sure Ant-Man hadn't been out at that point. No, Ant-Man was out at that point. Like, it was like two years. Yeah, it was like, like two that. years ago. It was like, I was so bummed. I, I just was, was like, like the schmuck. Him, like, you know fishbowl helmet no it was a full-on ant-man suit she like left the house and must have fucking spent like 80 bucks on this cool ant-man costume and was like so excited to show it to me and i was so heated i was like now i'm just this idiot dressed like hawkeye arrow guy as scott yeah now i'm arrow guy but i get leading to the end we mentioned it before but Thanos was a fluke. It was Joss Whedon's idea. He did it like on an off day. I think the filming had wrapped. He had a green screen and he had like a stunt guy and he said, put on the purple makeup and and let's do this as a joke. And it, it, um, it was the, the, you know, the rest is history. It was the blueprint for the further direction in the next 10 years. And we're still to this day, Thanos is in the public consciousness and we're living in like this post Thanos world. It's crazy. Let me see if I can uh, see if you guys are on point that you brought up the stunt man that they, they just kind of like threw on the screen to play Thanos. Has that gentleman been in an MCU movie after that? That I don't know. Um, interesting. Don't Google it. <laughs> if I have it right at my fingers, I can just tell you. <laughs> He was okay. Has he? He was one of Crossbones' henchmen in the beginning of Civil War. Oh, good. They threw him a bone. Yeah. Oh, a crossbone. Oh, fucking god. Uh, which might I, I want to bring up? Uh, that also happened in the Iron Man movies. Iron Man Two. The uh, the person who like sort of whiplashes doppelganger that they were gonna like use as like the person who died in the explosion in the jail cell to get whiplash uh, kidnapped. That stunt man was brought back in Iron Man 3 as one of the people that were holding Tony captive, but I digress. There were some funny cameos throughout the entire first phase. Wasn't uh, Tom Morello from Rage Against the Machine one of the terrorists that kidnapped Tony Stark? <laughs> what? Um, I, I swear to God. I, I couldn't tell you that. I could not tell you that. So John's Googling it, I guess. I'm sorry. Uh, I, and uh, actually... Uh, Star Lord's the actress who played Star Lord's mother is in Captain America. Not oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She's uh, uh, like the one extra that gets a little bit more. Uh, she had like a deleted scene with uh, him and with her and Cap, right? That's correct. Yeah. Um. We got anything else? No, I, I think that's it. Uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure we did miss a lot, and you know, yeah. we'll have opportunities in our break episodes to go back to it. And maybe people will just yell at us on the internet that's for right. forgetting everything. Um, which kind of brings me... I, I would be fine with that, because that means people are actually listening. You know? Yeah, so obviously um, at, this, at this juncture, it's probably just friends listening, and maybe that is all it's ever going to be. I know uh, 
Jason of Sinister Cinema and has his own YouTube channel is kind enough to give us a shout out to his uh, yeah Sinister Cinema Reviews is the channel huh yeah please check Jason out he's he's such a bright guy I mean, he's, he's extremely well, handsome tuning into us right now is already yeah. is here because of Jason so like yeah, he, yeah. they don't need us to tell my mom is here right now and she doesn't know who the fuck Jason is hi John's mom Mary Sansone is a goddamn saint she is so, insane um so yeah so bring that to the closeout um like i said this you know no huge aspirations if it does go a little bit somewhere you know just to reach a few ears that maybe um we didn't think were possible you know uh, uh tune in what what are the uh is this going to be uh travis i think you said uh it could be anywhere from two to ten days um to be posted uh, is it any sort of uh, tell us about that, Travis? Oh, uh, that's about it. So, yeah, as long as it gets approved, it should be up within two to ten days. And where can they find it? Oh, uh, pretty much everywhere it is what uh, the anchor site said, pretty much like Apple, iTunes, etc., Spotify. Uh, perfect. And um, also, I mean, you're probably already in the group if you're listening to this episode. Um, but if anyone goes back, uh, future listeners that didn't know, we have our Facebook group as well. Um, it is uh, MCU Beyond Infinity Podcast Facebook group. Um, at the moment, well, at the time of this uh, recording, it's closed, but that's going to be taken care of later this evening. So, um it's pretty active as well. If you're wanting to have some work to discuss these movies, then right. it's not a bad spot. We can elaborate a little bit more. Um, we can, um, t- you know, answer questions that you may have. And speaking of questions, John, are we doing that on this episode or um, next episode? Yeah, let's do it on this episode. Um Chance Cook, who's been a friend of ours, an internet friend of ours for some years, and he's kind of um, one of the most avid. Um, how should I? How, what's a nice way of um, getting down on your knees and sucking someone's dick? Um, of the, <laughs> I love you, Chance. Um, but he loves Marvel more than anyone. I love he you loves too, Chance. My. Uh... But but he's he's an avid avid Marvel guy, and uh, he did leave me a voicemail um, with a couple questions and well wishes. So check this out, guys. And uh, Chance, thank you again for calling in. Hello, everyone at the MCU Beyond Infinity podcast. This is Chance, just calling to wish everyone uh, well on this new endeavor, and I hope everything goes smoothly. And I'll be listening. I had one question for your general thought. What do you think of um, the idea that we're introducing all these new groups like the Eternals, the X-Men, Mutants, possibly Inhumans? Do you think they'll all be conflated together by the general fandom? Do you think the stories will make sense in-universe as to where they've all been, where they're going, what makes them different? Just let me know your thoughts on this and uh, have fun. All right. Thank you, Chance. John, you brought him in, so why don't you start out by answering uh, uh, a lot of 
there's a lot of stuff in there. A lot of stuff. Yeah. And it's fun to think too, especially just kind of getting off the idea of, um, you know, the Avengers having been like, can they pull this off? And that was their big team up movie. And now we're talking about the Eternals and the Guardians of the Galaxy and, you know, new groups being introduced. And, um, you know, I, I, I voiced my speculation before of it being conflated and how they were all going to interact with, uh, with one another. Um, and, and, uh, Again, we're not here to just like be at the whim and be one of those um, mindless consumers of Marvel content. Yeah, exactly. Like everything Marvel does is the best. You know, we all have our speculation, but at this point in the game, uh, seeing what they've pulled off to date, I uh, I'm very excited. Um, specifically for groups like uh, the Eternals or the Star Jammers and and the cosmic stuff, and to see not only how they're going to integrate it into the universe on their own terms that they've done so well, but um, how they interact with one another and, and and the continuation of this growing universe. And basically chance I I'm really excited specifically for characters like, like the Eternals and these more cosmic characters and to see how they're, they're brought into the fold. I, I think it's going to go over really well. And I, as always with Marvel, they've done a great job with doing it naturally, taking their time and, and really um, trusting their audience and, uh, and having the patience. So I'm looking forward to it. Okay. Yeah. Um, to piggyback a little bit off of that for me. Um, Let's see, where can I start? Um, I think uh, it behooves, obviously, Marvel, and they're in the right place now that they've, you know, launched their streaming site, and we're going to get all these series. It's uh, There's so many uh, series, and um, it's a different format, a different medium, obviously, that WandaVision showed us. Uh, took a lot of people by surprise in the direction that that it went, even though it was sort of advertised uh, pretty straightforwardly that it was going to be different. But um, it really gives the opportunity um, to introduce these different kinds of characters, uh, lower, you know, junior varsity type characters, and even have a little fun with them and uh, give them a lot more uh, fleshed out opportunities than, than like a two hour movie uh, would be able to do if it, if a two hour movie even introduced some of these characters at all. Um, one thing I'm weary of, and I know, um, chance knows this in particular, um, because we have very conflicting views and expectations about it is, uh, you know, this whole multiverse angle, um, multiverse of madness. Multi- angle. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, it's as John said in our proto episode, uh, it's pretty much, it's, it is confirmed that, uh, it's sort of a loose trilogy of WandaVision into, um, multiverse of madness, Dr. Strange's sequel and, and Spider-Man. Um, you know, we already know that all these Sony characters are, you know, some are rumor, but some are, you know, and there's all these actors from the previous Sony franchises, both, uh, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man movies and the amazing Spider-Man. No Tom Hardy though, which is a bummer. Uh, Tom Hardy. What was he going to be? Venom. I don't have any recollection of that either. I, uh, I don't even know what hit him. Um, it's, uh, This brings me to this this illustrates my point perfectly is like this is just such a can of worms and um, I no chance just thinks that this is this is this means the multiverse and we're going to get like, you know, these characters are going to be, you know, from I don't want to put words in the chances mouth because uh, maybe it's not but 
quite that extreme in terms of like it's maybe he doesn't believe that it's going to be the sony raimi characters of those iterations but like um to you have these uh fans that are like casual fans that aren't you know as geeky and learned as us and it can easily disorient or confuse them and um causing them to lose interest it's just like i've described it as a lot of spinning plates or, or shaking a table with a house of cards on it it's a very ambitious um you know, venture. And if they pull it off, great. But like, I am not just going to say it's going to be just fine. And I'm also not going to say that this means it's going to be the multiverse that so many people seem to think it means. And I'm still saying that about, um, you know, WandaVision, which we'll talk about more in, in our next episode of, uh, you know, so many people took it as a um, sure sign that Fox's Quicksilver is coming over and that the Fox X-Men character is going to be integrated. Uh, me and Chance don't uh, share the same opinion on what that means uh, in a loving way. Um, we, you know, we banter with each other about it all the time. Um, but, you know, we're still friends. Um, I openly uh, welcoming it, but cautiously optimistic. And I'm not going to make any um, assumptions about what it means. And, um, you know, trust that Marvel has a plan. And that they're not just making these willy-nilly decisions for fan service and to, to. But if these characters in these groups get introduced and it isn't a multiverse, and they actually are introduced within the Marvel Cinematic Universe that we know and love, and it, and it isn't bringing over previous box, and we get new X Men and and new versions of these characters. Do you think, um, just going back to Chance's question, like, are you excited? Do you think that the general um, do you think that it'll still work with this ever expanding universe? Yes. And like uh, to bring it up back up just because Marvel has now expanded the, the mediums to which we're going to get this content. I think, I mean, obviously that, that makes it more difficult to organize and control continuity wise. Um, but yeah, I think it gives an opportunity to give us a lot more characters than they would have gotten just doing two, three movies a year. Um, and, and it looks like going in the phase four that they're not just going to rinse and repeat the formula that works so well for them for phases one, two, three, uh, you know, Avengers each phase. And then this uh, Infinity Saga, it looks like um, they are going to try something different, which they kind of have to do. You kind of have to keep uh, reinventing yourself just to keep it fresh. And uh, in, that, in that respect, I think, uh, I think they will succeed at that. And um, hopefully we're proven right. Travis, how about you? What do you... Uh... Okay, I, I do think it's going to be somewhat confusing with the intro. If they do introduce the Inhumans on top of the Eternals and all of that, uh, I do have faith, uh, like a, just a general faith in Marvel to be able to pull it off in a way that's satisfying and helps. Uh, a lot of that, I think, comes down to the casting people that are really good at their job. Uh, in general, uh, with the Inhumans, I, I fully expect them to be uh, at least the royal family in uh, Miss Marvel in some capacity, if only for Lockjaw. Uh, I would expect limited uh, limited involvement from them for now, especially since you don't want to introduce what are essentially weirder mutants before you introduce the X-Men. Uh, but the Inhumans have a uh, more 
an interesting dynamic with them literally being royalty and uh, being able to tell stories from that perspective. Uh, Do you think that that royal family is going to be uh, the same royal family from the uh, ABC hit uh, television series, The Inhumans? Absolutely fucking not. I think that will, like we said earlier on in the episode, that the TV shows aren't canon, and in at least my opinion, uh, they'll they'll likely never dis they'll never disown them uh, for the sake of the people that do enjoy them. But yeah, I view it at minimum as lesser canon. And with the exception of Inhumans, which I think no one likes and will not bat an eyelash at them being thrown out officially. Fucking show. <laughs> I made it about 10 minutes, and yeah, it's... Gotcha. And I saw I, the first two episodes in IMAX. Oh, uh, yeah. It, it's, a, it's a difficult property because there is also, like, that... Uh, the, the problematic nature of the Inhumans having a, a slave underclass that... <laughs> just gotta do away with that entirely, probably. It's but but it's just fucking Game of Thrones with X Men. Like it's not I, that I hard. It like being all of those things are way, hits. But uh, yeah, it didn't really work out that way. They have a giant fucking teleporting dog. Like it's it's like a golden recipe. Yeah, I I. It's a shame that they used some of those actors in that show. <laughs> uh yeah. yeah, especially the Ramsey guy. Um, yeah, yeah. No, I like Anson Mount from like Hell on Wheels. I don't like westerns, but I watched a good deal of that uh, with him as the lead. Stay tuned for a Hell on Wheels podcast. Uh, no, do not stay tuned. I'm not, <laughs> uh, not willing to cover that. Uh, um, I, I again, I'm in agreement. One thing I, I am concerned about, but I at this point, I, I, I shouldn't be concerned because I was concerned, is the general public going to care about Thanos? Is the general public going to care about the Guardians of the Galaxy? Like, uh, we, you know, we're talking, obviously, if you're listening uh, an hour and 52 minutes into an MCU podcast, you like fucking Marvel movies. Um, but the general public um, who goes to see these movies, that probably amounts to about 90% of the people aren't, you know, as obsessive and rabid as fans as we are. Um, are they going to accept uh, the Eternals and, and some of these things? The, they're leaps, you know, Shang-Chi is a leap. Um, and the big team-ups. They're going to be leaps, you know? And I, I like what they're doing with the series, which they kind of do in the phase one through three films in terms of uh, having them, those films being different subgenres of uh, genre films, you know, Winter Soldier being like a spy espionage movie and, you know, the first one being a war period piece and um, Ant-Man like a comedy heist. So these shows... Um, with WandaVision is just, you know, obviously so gonzo and different, but like even the more traditional ones and more, you know, face value ones like Falcon and Winter Soldier going to be that sort of like spy buddy movie. And, uh, you know, they say She-Hulk is going to be like a, a lawyer procedural, like long. I can't thing. wait for that. That, that, that sounds, uh, that sounds very intriguing and awesome to me. Um, so yeah, the, so, so you can have you know, someone who's a real fan of one of their shows that doesn't want to have anything to do with the other show. And they just like it because that's the type of television that they like. So I think that's a, a good move on their behalf. Yeah, absolutely. It is. Um, I, I think we did a really good job. I, 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 um, th- uh, again, this is going to be our first one for, for uh, release. Um, we are doing uh, our next episode. Our next episode is going to be uh, covering WandaVision uh, episode six. The Halloween spooktacular. Our new Halloween 
spectacular. Um, Spook, spooktacular. Sure. Um, I can't read my own handwriting, I guess. Um, we'll be, Travis, we're going to try to release, or I should be asking both of you. Um, we're going to probably drop these episodes at the same time, or are we going to let the prequel? Yeah, let's, I, I, yeah, let's take, put them up on like SoundCloud. Perfect. So yeah, so the this and the because we're going to record the uh, WandaVision episode right after this, after a little break, so they should drop um, on the same day, whether that be two or ten days from now, I couldn't tell you, but um, I hope you listen to it. I hope you And wherever you're listening, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Yes, hit that like button now, just like YouTube channel. Join the Facebook group as well. Uh, and join the Facebook group for some great conversation. Yeah, that way you can yell at us in a more intimate way. Yes, and I will tell you to go fuck yourself if I, yeah, <laughs> I won't. Um, yeah, this was great. Um, looking forward to many more. And um, if anyone is listening to this, I hope you tune in again and um, hear from us soon. We knocked out of the park, guys. Mm-hmm.